In a deserted, post-apocalyptic Australia, a brother and sister try to find their parents and a sense of hope across a dangerous terrain of Pacific Rim, the Black. fact about that post-apocalyptic australia that's just what australia normally looks like <laughs> <laughs> post-apocalyptic wasteland of australia <laughs> you mean australia just looks like the mad max movies yes yeah. oh, exactly. okay you know yeah. you do know that those were that's where those were filmed actually yeah I, I i did i did uh which does this does have that sort of feeling to it almost right like mm-hmm. the black has that mad max sort of feel but I'm sure we'll get into that. Welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast. This is the bargain basement of monster podcasting airwaves. This week, as we try to stay alive, we're discussing Pacific Rim, the black, and we are concluding our Pacific Rim miniseries here, Alex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a while, but we're back. Yep, we're back. We had our Godzilla vs. Kong coverage. Uh, hopefully, if you could, couldn't care less about Godzilla vs. Kong, you at least stayed with us to Pacific Rim. I think I think we both spoilers. I think we both enjoyed ourselves with this anime. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely had no idea what to expect, and it was uh, a nice surprise. Yeah. Now this isn't the first show that we've covered. We've done a couple bonus episodes of different TV shows. We did a bonus like uh, top five favorite episodes for Ultraman mm-hmm. and Ultra Seven. Uh, and we also covered SSSS Gridman. Um, I think I got the S's right there. Yes, which was our only <laughs> release that everyone got to see. Actually, you know, our first top five Ultraman, we actually shared with everybody as well. We did. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so we've done a couple shows before, but this will be fun because uh, it's short, it's sweet, it's to the point, and uh, I'm ready to get into it, Alex. Yeah, let's do it. After two movies that split audience, critics, and fans alike, Pacific Rim returns in a new way, Netflix anime. With seven brisk episodes, the series features a new but believable sort of setting for the series, a post-apocalyptic wasteland known as The Black. My question for you, Alex, is did this series feel like Pacific Rim to you, or did it feel like a generic giant mech meets monster series? Uh, yeah, it... I was very surprised with how Pacific Rim felt. Like you, you know, I love anime and Pacific Rim. And while I'm sure I would have loved like all the various different outcomes that could have came from this mashup, it would have been really easy to miss the feel of Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. But I actually think they kind of knocked it out of the park. Um, yeah. th- this feels again like a lived-in world that's been devastated yeah. by. Kaiju and whatever the black is. I can't wait to figure that out one day. <laughs> <laughs> the only time this feels less than Pacific Rim for me is when Boy changes into a Kaiju at the end of the season. And, you know, I knew he was a Kaiju from the first moment we saw him. But I will say I was surprised to actually see him transform into a full-blown, stories-tall Kaiju. Yeah, he was stories tall, but he was he wasn't as big as the kaiju monsters that we saw in this series. No. He wasn't like um what what's the classification? Is it generation four? 
uh, not generate. What is it? Uh, oh, category, category yeah. three. Uh, well, the one that's chasing them the whole time. I think it's. I think it's a category three, or or is it a category four? One of the two, but yeah. it's not it's that. A three. It's not. It's not that size, right? No, um, it's probably like a category like one or two. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's it's more like it's it's not even as big as a Jaeger. Um, it's bigger, uh, but it's really interesting because that's going to be a piece of the show that I imagine we'll see in season two because there has been a season two already announced. Um, and I think that was the plan for the beginning, but it's official now. There's at least one more season of Pacific Rim, The Black, to come sometime soon, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I'd be totally okay if that's all we get and like just like a standalone story. But then again, more Pacific Rim, maybe never a bad thing. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Pacific Rim aspect in particular, I did think that this felt very Pacific Rimish, starting with the way that the Kaiju and the Jaegers battled each other. Mm-hmm. There's a weight in their skirmishes that, that reminded me a lot of the original Pacific Rim. I complained, like, they changed it up in Uprising and just made it more, as, as we said in that show, more Transformer-ish, which I did have some complaints about. But this didn't feel like that. It felt like the original, in my opinion. And just think of, thinking about the burst of violence in this series, the burst of violence are just short, sudden, and extreme, meaning they had a lot of impact when they did happen. And as for another aspect that made this very Pacific Rim, the drifting right? I love the way that this series explores the effects of drifting among mm-hmm. siblings, among lovers, among friends, and even with yourself. You see how it messes with people and how it messes with memory even. And this is something that I've been wanting to see more of since the original. Uh, I thought it was something that honestly could have been explored more that makes Pacific Rim really unique is this drifting aspect, people almost becoming one in a way, right? Like this is something yeah. that we've always wanted to see more of. Uh, I also do like the the new interface aspect of it. That's that's kind of conversational. Um, what was yeah. her name? Loa. Loa. Yeah, uh, she's great. Loa was great, right? And that was a, kind of a great addition um, to kind of have that banter among the pilots and Loa. Uh, so I did think this was very Pacific Rimish, uh, and and it had a lot of new content. As well, so it took the Pacific Rim that we loved and add new stuff that still felt Pacific Rim. Yeah, it definitely did. And and Loa was a, like a nice little. Uh, she reminded me a little bit of what they tried to do in the first film with, with uh, Gladys. Yeah, where it does the little voice, but we never got a personality or like really any talking out of it. And so this is, I just feel like a natural extension of that. So I was glad to see that around. But you know this this whole thing is. It's it's just kind of the whole thing is just kind of interesting to dive into, I mean, and, and I'm I'm glad we're we're getting this because especially with this one character in particular that's sidelined due to injury, like I'm glad we're getting these references to the original series. I didn't know where in the timeline this took place at yeah. all, but we get these little hints that we know when. Like I know a lot of people probably like, oh yeah, it tells us what year this starts, and so we know when all of it begins. Well, I'm not looking that up. so or i I guess from just a cursory person that's just seen the movies they have these nice little points so there's that character that was sidelined in the original due to injury i believe it was like hercule hercule hansen Mm -hmm. uh he's the dad that got his arm busted up and his son had to go sacrifice himself with pentecost well 
it's a really great tie-in because that's who our main character decides to sync up with and share memories with. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool to see what is maybe his final moments. All we know is he initiates the black. He's wounded, but we don't see him die. So I don't know if he's actually dead or not. And again, we don't know what the black is still. Uh, I th- so I thought the black is what they call this this uh, wasteland, right? Well, like- it is, but well, I don't know if it is or not because he he says initiate the black, right? And so we know that whatever the black is, it came from the sky. It's something to do with satellites, it seems like to me. So I'm not sure. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I really like this relationship he has with these memories that aren't his. Uh, It really leads to these cool dynamics that you mentioned. And what was really cool that I like what they did is what happened with Joel. And Joel was like just this mechanic, uh, flunky type guy who seems to know a little bit about Jaegers and he gets paired with all these people. And eventually he takes on their personalities because, and he forgets what he's actually good at, which is the mechanical side of things. And it turns out that he kind of turns into a badass. He's able to do all these cool things. He didn't realize, but one of the things that I love about the show is that we don't know what's going to happen with anybody. Because as soon as we think that he's sticking around, he gets his head blown clear off out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> out of nowhere. It didn't even seem like a remote possibility for him to die in that particular moment. Right. Which is just so cool. And then we, we also get like these other characters, like the, the whole Haley experience at the beginning of the film. Like she's the reason that, that, Everything we that all these characters that get built up in that first episode dead, yeah. gone, oh, all of them. Could not believe they killed all of them. Like, this, this show has got a lot of cool turns to it. Yes, absolutely. No, so my only real gripe with the series is that I thought it actually took a while to sink my teeth into. But I'm with you with that first episode. It jumps right in and starts with that wow moment. I did not expect the several characters that were introduced to be killed in that tragedy. That was caused, kind of, I mean, pretty much caused by Haley, right? Mm-hmm. Incidentally, of course. But still, I mean, if, if that Jaeger hadn't been activated, that wouldn't have happened. However, I do think the series loses a bit of momentum after that. That is until Shane is introduced. Shane, as a real villain beyond the kaiju, makes the latter half of the series work. Uh, it just adds that human antagonist. I think direct is directly in the way of our protagonist's goals, which really brings mm-hmm. that human element, right? Yeah. Um, and as the series progresses, he becomes even more menacing. As we find out, you know, he's manipulated May's memories, uh, which I thought was really cynical. Uh, not cynical. I thought it was just really diabolical, I would say, because – when you're messing, you're not just controlling her present, you're controlling her past. Um, and that's definitely, you gets into some interesting relational dynamics between the two that I think can be applied to the way that toxic relationships can work in the real world, right? Mm. Where someone can make you believe something that's not true. This gets into like gaslighting, you know? Yeah, and um, this is like actual gaslighting. This is actual like <laughs> gaslighting. This is like legitimate <laughs> like literal gaslighting <laughs> on the most manipulative level, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that was a really interesting aspect. Combine that with, you know, um, Taylor's storyline where he's also kind of his memories being manipulated a little bit 
um, through the drifting. And you have some really interesting ideas to sink your teeth into. Um, So I I really like that aspect of the show, but it did take a while to get there, I thought. Yeah, I mean, that that May moment is just a spectacular moment when you find out that she's been, her entire past is like, made up it's completely fabricated it's just so cool yeah um and not something i I saw again not something i saw coming uh and it's something i really like about the show again it's there's all these surprises but i do agree with you that there there's a moment there where it kind of loses momentum and i think it's i think it's the back half of episode two and maybe all of episode three it kind of meanders a little bit um but it does do some interesting things where it presents all these mysteries. You know, yeah. we see the Jaeger hand that grabs Kaiju. We see the introduction of Boy. So there's some pretty cool things introduced, but I think it's just the wandering of two characters in an empty city uh, that just isn't quite as impactful as that initial episode and the episodes that come after. And, but like, and again, I think like you said, the introduction of Shane is where the show really hits the gas. Yeah. Uh, And while I agree with you with everything about Shane and that I really like his presence, one of my favorite things was the appearance of Apex, who is actually from Uprising, which is also just this really cool, impactful tie-in for people that have seen that. I just, I love that one of those escaped Uh and has continued to mutate and become its own being at this point. So I, I really can't wait to see if he comes back. I'm sure he will. I can't imagine him not coming back, but I can't wait to see what is done with that. And mm-hmm. you know, we haven't really mentioned, you, know, you mentioned it actually, the, the reintroduction of the Mark III series of Jaegers yeah. as our primary Jaeger. It's just yeah. great to have it back. Like yes. it is so nice to have this back. Like I enjoyed Uprising, but uh-huh. this is better. <laughs> like the, this Jaeger type is better. Yes, absolutely. No, Apex will be back. And overall, like this series, uh, yeah, it could end after season one, I guess. But it really feels like a story that has been planned for at least one more season, right? Yeah. Um, there's just so many unanswered questions at the end there. Uh, there's so much potential with some yeah. of the things that we've have got been that set we've up. got that cult that we don't know anything about yet. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Right at the end, we get that little teaser as well. But you know, one of the strengths so far of the series has been, in my opinion, the limited amount of characters. I think in in lots of these shows, we just get so many characters that we spread ourselves thin. But here. We really get to focus on our main characters, Haley and Taylor, sister and brother. Then you've got Boy and May. And, and really, those are our four main characters, right? And there's actual development there as we start to learn about the personalities of each. And I did, I agree with you. I think, you know, episode two and three, those, those episodes meander. But that's, they're also important in building up those characters. Um, mm. So if it feels like the pace is dragging, it, it does, it does. But it's also essential in making you care about these characters as the series progresses, I think. Um, yeah. Now, uh, yeah, as you said, and as I just said, there's so much more still to learn about this show. Um, and that's something that I think makes it appealing is the mystery and that mystery aspect. 
we still just don't know much about boy. Um, <laughs> we don't know much about apex really. Um, I do like, I do like this Jaeger Kaiju hybrid. That's more than just a brain, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting concept and one that I'm looking forward to seeing more, hopefully in season two of the show. Speaking of which, Alex, that leads us into MVM plus on MVM plus. I want to hear where you want this series to go next, what it should explore, and how it can continue building this new world of Pacific Rim, right? And of course, you can listen to MVM Plus and our entire backlog of MVM Plus by becoming a bargain base mite over at (laughs) patreon.com slash MVMPod. But remember, too, like if you can't afford that, uh, totally cool, and you want to support the show, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Like We really appreciate that feedback on iTunes. But Alex, let's go ahead and jump into our awards for Pacific Rim, the black. Who did you have mm. for your coolest character award? Well, he's not a whole lot of a character, but mm-hmm. this is the coolest character award uh-huh. award. So I have to pick the boy who turns into the boy Kaiju. <laughs> <laughs> like, like there's nothing there's nothing cooler. That and then not only that, but in his just human form he stops a punch by Apex. Yeah, that which was is pretty intense. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's really cool. I don't know if he's so much a character award, but coolest character, maybe I can make it work. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that works. He's got kind of like the, the amazing Hulk to him aspect, right? <laughs> and like Haley and his relationship felt mm. reminiscent of like Black Widow and the Hulk in uh-huh. the Avengers movies. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a real question if he's even going to be able to turn back. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if he will or not. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, again, unanswered question, right? Um, for me, the coolest character was May. Uh, and partially because of the way that she's introduced. I mean, come on, this is a cool character. I'll talk more about that yes. here in, in another award. But the other aspect is what you mentioned, Alex. The fact that we learned that what she thought was her past was not her past. And thinking about that as a character who's really trying to like find herself in the world makes her really intriguing and adds a din- dimension to her character that we don't have from Taylor and Haley. Like they, they're kind of foil characters, right? Like Taylor and Haley know who they are. They know where they come from and they have a strong sense of purpose. May is kind of a wanderer. She doesn't Uh know who she is anymore and she doesn't know what her purpose is. And so that makes for a very interesting pairing, which I think comes to play in that final scene towards the, towards the end. It's not the final scene, the final scene of all three of them together, relaxing and dancing. You're like, Uh this is kind of like a throwaway sort of like moment. Um, it's fun, right? And it's building these characters and it's showing that contrast. Those three interacting, I always found it pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I think she is the best character in yeah. the series. Um, what about your most memorable line award? Well, we already mentioned Loa. But what I liked about Loa, uh, the Jaeger interface, was that she had a personality, right? <laughs> and mm. kind of a sassy personality (laughs) yes and so you get this moment at the beginning of episode two uh where taylor shouts at her for for not warning warning them uh and and she says 
A warning was indeed issued. To avoid any confusion in the future, when you hear me say warning, consider yourself warned. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just very like, <laughs> so sassy. I, yes. I loved it. And there's multiple moments like that. Um, but that was a line that just stood out to me. It made me laugh out loud when I heard it. So Loa, I thought about her for the coolest character award just because I thought she was unique and sassy and fun. But I'll give her the most memorable line award instead. <laughs> what about you, man? Uh, yeah, mine's going to be when Shane calls May uh, on her communicator and Joel picks it up. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, I need you to give a message to her. And he just detonates it. Oof. Oh. Oof. I definitely remember that one. <laughs> yeah. That is the most memorable line for sure. <laughs> <laughs> now... Can't believe that voice acting award, Alex. I'm, I'm mm. assuming you watched the English version of this show. Of course, of course. Now, is the English version of this show, is that the original version or is the Japanese version the original version? You know, That's my the, question. The, I would say the English version is the original in this case. Yeah, that was my guess. Um, and so I watched the dub version as well. So, so who would you have for the, the voice acting award? Uh, I had Erica Lindbeck as uh-huh. Loa because, just like you said, sassy. <laughs> There's also yeah. like clearly something being hidden by her. Yes, and oh, I yeah. can't wait to figure out what that is. Oh, like, that's the other aspect. It's like there are things that she keeps from Taylor and Haley, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the sass isn't over the top. It's subtle and passive aggressive. <laughs> yes, um, it is. <laughs> but it's done in a way that's just absolutely great. So great. I think that's a great choice. Um, I'm going to go with Shane's voice actor, Andy McPhee. Uh, it's not over the top. What I like about Shane's performance here is that it's not over the top. In fact, like you don't necessarily know this is going to be the main villain when he's first introduced. Um you, you might just think, you know, this guy knows what he's about. He has a sense of purpose, which he does, but you don't know his dark side yet. And that's because I think the performance is really subtle um, from Andy McPhee. And, and I really appreciated it. And this also just, he had a great accent. So I like that as well. <laughs> mm, yeah. It, it, yeah. He did a great job. De- definitely uh, does the a-hole routine pretty well. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about your... Uh, Standout animated sequence award. Well, this is the one I alluded to earlier with May, and it's our real introduction to May when um, you have the boy runs down from the dune, uh, I guess to probably reconnect with his kaiju brother <laughs> that is like the kaiju fish, you know, that they're trying to uh, mm-hmm. harvest uh, eggs from, I guess. Is that what they were? Um uh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're trying eggs. to harvest these eggs. Uh, and, of course, the kaiju fish thing turns on them. And May destroys this with an RPG. <laughs> and an RPG to the mouth in which it explodes and splatters everywhere. It was just mm. a really cool sequence. Yeah. It was over in a flash. And she, you saw her personality... In that moment, she took charge, right? She took charge of that situation uh, and made it happen. So I really liked that sequence. What about you? Uh, Mine had to be the opening sequence, like the opening kaiju battle in the city. 
mm-hmm. some really cool moments mm-hmm. in there. And, it, you know, we get a lot of moments with uh, Atlas, but they're not quite, they're not like this. They're, yeah. they're not steeped in like a lot of color and just kind of brutality mm-hmm. so much. So I, I really like these opening sequences in the city. It, it's probably the most reminiscent of like the original Pacific Rim. That's another cool thing I actually I like about the series and about Atlas in particular is he doesn't have any weapons. Yes. <laughs> right? so it doesn't cool. have any weapons. And so not until he gets not, that replacement exactly. arm. And it's not meant for battle. You know, like the, the, the entire Jaeger is really not meant for battle. And so you get this, this element where it doesn't, want to be in battle <laughs> and you're like well don't i want my battle yes you do in a sense but like that's not the primary focus of the show right um, when the I wind was actually interesting when atlas is in battle it they have to outthink their prey yes. like they can't brute force their way through anything right exactly um cool well, what about your oh that's a good shot award uh, there's a moment, I think it's at the end of the film where it's behind the two pilots during their final battle with the Kaiju that is in the entire show. And I can't remember his name. Is it like Copper? Uh, Copperhead. Is it Copperhead? I think it's Copperhead. Yeah. We're, <laughs> if it's not, it is now. Co- them, uh, they're, it's in the cockpit behind them as Copperhead's charging at them. It's just really cool because it's got all the colors from inside the Jaeger contrasted with Copperhead's like red stomach coming at him. It just uh, looks nice, nice color popping. No, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I do think it's Copperhead. Uh, but mine is that same battle, actually. And it's uh, the harpoon shot. Where So we t- talked about when his arm is replaced, the mechanical arm. It's the shot... Uh, when he releases the mechanical like harpoon part of the arm and you just see the shot goes along with it as it goes into Copperhead's chest. <laughs> uh, it's just a really cool like tracking shot. Of course, not really tracking. This is an animated show, but it tracks with the harpoon straight into the chest of the, of the uh, Kaiju and rips it straight out, revealing that like blue open area. Really cool moment. Um, that was one of my favorite shots from the series. Yeah, what a that 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 climactic battle was pretty awesome. It was, and everything kind of came together, you know, and like everybody was needed to make that thing work. So I, I really liked that. That was good. Um, yeah. All right, man. So we've got our rating and ranking here. Uh, man, I'm, I'm thinking about my ranking here, and it's it's hard to rank these, honestly. Um, yeah. But I'm going to let you go first, then, as I think about it. <laughs> all right. Yes. Yeah, so, so so far. I'm really digging what we've seen. Uh, it's gone on in directions that I would never have guessed on multiple occasions. Like that, they could have gone the battle royale route, like where mm-hmm. it's just like a relentless thing of survival with monsters. But I actually like this route because it's a little more unique. I like the lack of kaiju in it. That we're, you know, we're going to build up and get way more in the future. But I like how this is starting. You know, the shocking first episode sets up this really interesting tone for the rest of the series. That plus, like, the desolation of Australia is a really fun, empty setting. We have, like, we have some really enormous uh, mysteries coming. And I I can't wait to see what they're going to, like, how they're going to resolve all these things. So, for the first season or half season or whatever this thing is, 
uh, I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a four out of five. I think it's actually got a lot of promise. Nice. No, I, I like that a lot, Alex. I I think that uh, man, that that pretty much it just kind of stole all my thoughts there. <laughs> uh, but what but what I'll say is I think this is uh, very Pacific Rim, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think the the action sequences, though limited, when we do get them, are impactful. As I said, those short bursts of meaningful action really help move the series along. The series does mm-hmm. drag a little bit. Um, there's not one thing I didn't mention, but there's but we didn't really bring it up. The score doesn't quite match. Oh. You know, this isn't like we don't have a standout score, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is unfortunate. But other than that, like I don't have much to complain about except for the fact that this feels incomplete. It feels like we need another season to properly give it a rating and a ranking almost. So for me, because of that, I think I'm going to say a 3.5 out of 5. And I'll put it probably put it right in the middle then between Pacific Rim and Pacific Rim Uprising. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put this at the, you know, it's like you said, it's kind of hard to judge it without the other half, but you know, if it's an ongoing show, is it going to be over? It's not over really till it's over. Right. Uh, I, I'm going to put it at the bottom, right? Eh, you know what? I'm going to put it above uprising just a little yeah. bit, just a hair. Yeah. 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 I think so. I think it has, it has a lot of potential still that we just need to explore. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, so next week, Alex, we're going to do a special kind of one-off episode. It's a movie we've both been wanting to watch for a while, and it's Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Um, After that, we are going to uh, do 21st Century Monster Madness. We're going to create a bracket uh, and find out what are fans' favorite monster movies from the 21st century and hopefully decide on an actual winner of the fan favorite monster film from the 21st century. So I'm really looking forward to jumping into this. I think this is going to be a whole lot of fun. And I want to talk more about it over on MVM Plus, kind of make sure we have all our ducks in a row for this upcoming series. Yeah. Cool. All right, man. Uh, Did you have a rhyme for Beast from 20,000 Fathoms? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Y'all might have heard of Beasts from 20,000 Fathoms. It inspired Godzilla, but does that Madams? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, mine's not any better because I couldn't think of anything. It's when late. We, We're recording. Yeah, it's almost are, midnight. It Let's is late real. for us. Yeah. <laughs> when we encounter the beast from the Fathoms, will we feast on the monster spectacle or be left in the story's tentacle? We shall see. I was going to say, or should it be in the nearest receptacle? Well, that would have probably been better because the beast, I don't think, has any tentacles. No, he doesn't. I just kind of threw in the word tentacle because it rhymed with spectacle, kind of. Oh, yep. We we both failed everybody this time. (laughs) We really did. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod. We're Alex Cornette and Eric Mealy on Letterboxd. You can email us, mvmpod at gmail.com, or leave us feedback at mvmpod.com. Support us at Patreon at patreon.com slash mvmpod and receive weekly bonus MVM Plus episodes. And if you feel so led, leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews really help. 
Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, Senor Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week, try to stay alive. Fun fact about that post-apocalyptic Australia, that's just what Australia normally looks like.